wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome to WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, October 24th, 2019. I am Graham Jesus Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And we are one week out from my favorite holiday of the year, Halloween. And for the first time ever, we're going to have WrestleRant Radio on Halloween itself, which is pretty cool. Unfortunately, the same day as Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia, but we all can't get what we want. Thankfully, the show is airing early enough where if I catch the show, review it, cover it, on nextairwrestling.net, I can still go out and enjoy the rest of my Halloween. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But in the meantime, though, we have today's edition. Let's not skip ahead to next week. Uh, we have a ton to talk about here in today's show, including Crown Jewel, because by the time the show goes up next week, which likely won't be until after Crown Jewel, it'll already be outdated. So today I'll be giving my predictions for the Crown Jewel pay-per-view next Thursday, in addition to my quick thoughts on Impact's Bound for Glory pay-per-view from Sunday, which was, on the whole, a very good show. And they are debuting on Access TV this coming Tuesday. Impact has been airing some shows of theirs, old pay-per-views, including Homecoming, Rebellion, I think that's what it was called, Slammiversary on Access TV all throughout October. And then on Tuesday of this week, they had their This Is Impact show, which was, they aired a few matches from the Impact pay-per-view on Sunday. But mostly it was all about getting new viewers, you know, familiar and kind of, um, you know, yeah, getting them familiar with the characters of Impact Wrestling. So I thought it was a very good show. I'll talk more about Impact soon enough. But we're talking about Bound for Glory today. Quick thoughts on that show. And more so, we're focusing on my reviews of Raw for Monday and NXT and AEW Dynamite last night, week four of the Wednesday Night Wars, as people are calling them, myself included, um, at least in terms of the ratings. And both shows were great. Wednesdays have quickly turned into my favorite night in wrestling. Um, and Tuesdays has a lot of great wrestling as well. I talked about this briefly in hashtag AskGSM, the beginning of that show on Wednesday. That Tuesdays now has uh, NWA Power in the evening at 6.05 exactly on YouTube. 7 o'clock, we have AEW Dark, dark matches from AEW Dynamite the week before, which is usually entertaining. Um, then we have now, as of this coming Tuesday, Impact Wrestling at 8 p.m., 10 o'clock total divas, at least for the time being, and then 11 p.m. WWE backstage. So uh, there's going to be a lot of content to watch, like six hours worth of wrestling re- wrestling related content starting this Tuesday. Uh, but it's all good stuff. But Wednesdays have got to be my new favorite night in wrestling, if only for NXT and AEW Dynamite. And I've switched off in the last couple of weeks in regards to which one I watch first, whether it's NXT or Dynamite, I thought I would kind of even it out because I watched Dynamite live for the first two weeks. You know, we had the debut show on that Wednesday, and then I was at the subsequent show last week. I think I watched NXT first, and then this week I watched NXT again. And I'm glad I did, if only for that electric ending that closed out the episode, which I'll talk more uh, more about momentarily here on WrestleRant Radio. But before we go any further, if you want to check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio, you could do so by subscribing to the show on all the podcast platforms, including 
iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. We're on Podbean. We're on Google Play. We're all over the place. So rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. All your support is greatly appreciated. As for me, you can find me on the socials, folks, on Twitter at WrestleRant and on YouTube as well at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham G.S. and Matthews, as well as on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. Uh, but nonetheless, we'll get started here with today's Wrestle Rant Radio briefly, talking about Impact Bound for Glory from Sunday. Um, again, overall, I thought it was a pretty good show. Impact has been putting out some great content, you know, kind of quietly under the radar for the better part of the past year or two now. Um, Impact, I thought, had one of their better years in recent memory in 2018. 2019, that kind of took a hit just because they weren't on television anymore. They've been airing their shows on Twitch since January, but there's not a lot of buzz around Impact because there's no easy... I mean, I guess there's an easy way for people to watch the show on Twitch, um, but it's not the same thing as airing on Pop or Destination America, channels that people will more likely get than um, Pursuit, you know? Um, And also airing on Friday nights at 10 p.m. hasn't exactly helped their cause at all. Thankfully, they're going back to a more reasonable time slot on Tuesdays at 8 p.m., which I think is perfect. Um, It's the same time that SmackDown used to air, you know, as of a month ago. So I think it's a perfect time for them to be going to. And uh, also on a more reasonable network on Access. Um, If you don't have Access, and I know I don't, you can still watch the shows live on Twitch, which I like a lot. Um, I like the Twitch platform. You can watch it on your TV, on your computer, on your phone even. It's very easy to watch the shows if you don't have that network, whether it be Pursuit or even, you know, in this case, Access TV. But as far as Bound for Glory on Sunday, again, um, I thought last year's show was slightly stronger on the whole, but it was a pretty decent show. The dark matches that aired on Tuesday's This Is Impact special... Um, included Madison Rain beating Shotzi Blackheart and probably one of the more predictable matches I've seen in some time just because we know Shotzi Blackheart is NXT bound. She was actually offered an NXT contract in the middle of the ring at an Evolve show a week ago by the NXT GM himself, William Regal. So we know Blackheart is headed to NXT and she was probably already advertised for this event and I think she's still wrapping up her indie dates before reporting to the Performance Center in the very near future which included a, you know, an appearance at Bound for Glory. Um, you know, inter- Interestingly enough, she was never going to win anyway because Madison Rain is like the, as she calls herself, the locker room leader in Impact, and she wasn't going to lose. But it was a good match while it lasted. We also had a six-man tag team match that pitted the Rascals against the trio of Dr. Wagner Jr., Aerostar, both of whom I'm familiar with from their days in Lucha Underground, and then their partner, Taurus, I believe is how you pronounce his name. A fun six-man tag team match for what it was. To kick off the actual show, we had a Bound for Gold Call Your Shot Battle Royal featuring 20 men and women with the winner earning a future championship match of their choosing. Um, It featured a lot of the usual faces, including the Desi Hit Squad, Eddie Edwards, who ended up winning the whole thing, and a few um, surprise appearances from Hornswoggle, who has made a handful of appearances in Impact in the past. We had Hornswoggle, Tommy Dreamer. It would not be a battle royal without Tommy Dreamer. This guy has made the rounds in wrestling, and it's amazing to me. Tommy Dreamer, for all my complaints about how he's been all over Impact programming um, for the better part of 2019, and I love Tommy. It was actually 11 years ago this month that I met Tommy Dreamer for the first time, and he was the very first wrestler I ever met. And he's always been super nice, but in terms of him being on weekly television every single week in 2019, 
Not exactly necessary, but he was in this battle royal. He served his role well. No real complaints. We had Swaggle. We had Tommy Dreamer. We had Joey Ryan, who we found out is actually now signed to Impact Wrestling. Yeah, Joey Ryan has landed an Impact. Now, he was there many years ago. I actually just got finished talking about this on a WrestleRant video last week uh, when I was reviewing the 2012 Bound for Glory pay-per-view, actually, from the Impact Plus streaming service. And I mentioned how... You know, he got this big contract to Bound for Glory seven years ago by beating Al Snow. Yes, that actually happened. And then he was gone from the company within the, like the next year. And I was never, I've never really been a big Joey Ryan fan. The whole penis thing, some people dig it, most people don't. I'm not really that big of a fan of it. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's funny to a certain degree. But as a every week type of gimmick on TV, eh, I could see why he didn't go to WWE or AEW, probably knowing that it wouldn't work in either promotion. Um, Impact is not on, you know, cable network television the same way that Access TV is. You know, like like Impact is. It's not the same type of deal. Um, it's kind of more low key than than WWE or AEW, so he can kind of get away with that type of shit. And I guess part of the agreement with him going there, according to a tweet that he put out on Sunday was that in going to Impact, they're letting him be himself. In other words, I can't pull this shit off on a bigger stage like WWE or AEW just because it would never fly in either promotion, nor should it. So I'm going here instead. And again, I like Joey Ryan, but how much will he really add to their product? I mean, the guy has been doing this penis shtick now for, what, three or four or five years? It's been a while. Um, I don't see the guy winning a world championship. Like, I like this run in Lucha Underground because I don't think he was doing the penis shtick at that point. Um, you know, he was, I think like a undercover cop, like he was still doing like the stripper esque stuff, like by pouring like the friggin' baby oil down his chest and stuff like that. That was a little weird, but at least it was more entertaining and more, you know, bearable than uh, intolerable than what we're seeing now with the whole penis shtick on, on the indie scene and shit like that. But again, that's just my two cents. You don't have to agree with it. Uh, so we had Joey Ryan and the returning Kylie Ray who actually went, made an appearance, I believe, over Bound for Glory weekend at some one of their pay-per-views, some sort of show, uh, maybe Prelude to Glory, something like that. One of those type of shows. And um, it, that, nothing's official, but it looks like she has signed or will sign with Impact, which is surprising. Kylie Ray was last seen before recently. She made an indie show appearance a few weeks ago. But prior to that, she had been completely out of the business. She left AEW a few months ago. We last saw her, I think, at Double or Nothing. She was supposed to wrestle at the Fighter Fest show, I think, against Allie? Not against Allie. I think against Leva Bates, the librarian. And then the match was pulled because she was pulled. And we had not seen or heard from her in many months. Uh, there were rumors of her being sick or just not being mentally right or getting hurt. We'll never really know, so I can't sit here and speculate what the reason was behind her hiatus. But it did lead to her leaving AEW, and now she's apparently an impact, a much smaller platform. So it's not like she retired from wrestling or that she was done with TV wrestling altogether. Now, again, impact is a much smaller platform, a lot more low-key than AEW. Maybe the pressure got to her. But again, it was all of one show that she was on. She was only at Double or Nothing. She wasn't there for six months. She was barely there for a few months. She got signed in January, was gone by May or June. So I thought that was a little surprising. Uh, but again, if she does join Impact, you know, not to discredit Impact at all, their company may not have a ton of buzz right now, and it's only on the, uh, it, it's only on the upward trajectory, I will say, as you know, opposed to Ring of Honor, which has literally zero buzz around it right now. At least Impact, they're signing new people, 
They're arriving on Access this Tuesday. They're doing some of the right things. They had a very good show here, which was cool. Um, Kylie Ray going to Impact is not the worst decision. I know AEW, maybe Tony Khan specifically had said a few months ago, maybe over All Out weekend, that the door was always open for her to return if she wanted it. Uh, maybe she will go back at some point, but in the meantime, it looks like she is ending up in Impact, which, again, I think is cool because Impact, again, to their credit, they have a great women's division right now. Ring of Honors is nearly fucking desolate. Uh, they have almost nobody in Ring of Honor outside of Kelly Klein, Angelina Love, Sumi Sakai, who's been there forever, and um, Jenny Rose, who cares, and like Mandy Le- Leon. Mandy Leon is there, too. Uh, still there after all these years. Velvet Sky, but she hasn't appeared in months, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Not sure if it has to do with the Bully Ray thing. But um, in regards to their women's division, their women's division, their women's division is shit. AEW's women's division is not all that strong either. And I've I've been on a soapbox about that many many times here on this show and other platforms like hashtag SGSM. I just don't think it's a great women's division. Now they have the talent. Um, there's a lot of women they're not either doing anything with or they're just not developing enough for me to care about them. Like the Joshi women, Rio, Emi Sakura, I saw someone tweeting away the other day saying, oh my god, how can people shit on the AEW women's division? Emi Sakura is going to be like the crown jewel of their women's division. She is so good. I haven't seen any of that yet. She had one match. She had one match two weeks ago, and it wasn't a good match. So again, try to tell me that AEW's women's division is good. I, I won't be convinced I cannot believe you until I see more from those women that actually resemble a good, coherent, meaningful women's division. They have Britt Baker. She's not all that great in the ring. She looks like a star. She comes across like a star. She talks like a star. But in the ring, eh, leaves a lot to be desired. And then all the Joshi women, again, we know nothing about these ladies. I don't give a shit if they're great wrestlers or not. That's great. I think that's awesome. But we have zero reason to care about them at the moment. Impact's knockouts division is currently excellent, and I think that'd be a great way or a great place to Kylie Ray to end up. I mean, going to AEW also wouldn't be the worst thing, um, just because at least in AEW she can help add to their women's ranks, you know, get them on TV more. Not that she would be a deal breaker at all, but you know, she wouldn't be a game changer for that women's division. But they need more women that people are either familiar with or people women that people will care about. Like, I'm familiar with Allie from Impact, but she's done nothing to impress people. Same thing. If you weren't watching Impact, then you would have no idea who the fuck Allie is. Zero clue. She's good, and her character arc in Impact was excellent, but she's come over to AEW and she's done jack shit. I'm not even sure if she's won a match. Maybe one or two, but the matches haven't been that good. Back to my original point, though, Kylie Ray and Impact, I think, would be a fantastic fit. Uh, Also, I mentioned Eddie Edwards won the Battle Royal, so he will challenge for a championship of his choosing, probably the X Division Championship, if the uh, result of the X Division Championship ladder match from later on in the show was any indication, but we'll get to that a little later on. For the Knockouts Championship, we had Ty Valkyrie successfully retaining her title against Daniil Dashwood, the former Emma from WWE. Um... Good match here. I thought it was very good for what it was. Tennille arrived in Impact a few, about maybe a month or two ago. Again, she really hasn't had much buzz. Um, she's not a breakout babyface. She's just kind of there. And she's had some good matches with Kira Hogan and Madison Rain, but nothing too great. 
Um, so I thought it was way too soon for her to be winning the championship. Um, it's a lot like last year when Taya went for the championship at Bound for Glory, and she lost, and she continued to lose until she finally won at their January pay-per-view. I can see that happening with Tennille Dashwood. If they build it up long enough, and they build up Taya as a one-year reigning knockouts champion, only for her to lose to Tennille at the January pay-per-view, I think that could work. But the real key is getting Tennille over as a babyface between now and then. Tennille, I think, works as a babyface initially just because people are excited to see her in Impact and they're familiar with her. In the long run, though, she really showed in WWE that her best role, the role that she is best suited in, is as a heel. And until she turns, I don't really think we're going to see everything she's capable of in the ring. Because for right now, she just kind of comes across as being bland. So hopefully at some point we see that character change, she gets more interesting, and she can become Impact Knockouts champion eventually. Ty Valkyrie was a great example. She was never a great babyface, but after she went heel about six months ago, she started doing the best work of her entire career. And I enjoyed her work in Lucha Underground and early on in Impact, but when she turned heel a few months ago with Johnny Mundo, or Johnny Impact and Impact Wrestling anyway, um, she really came into her own, and she's had a great run as Impact Champion, so, as the Knockouts Champion, so I would wait to do the title change, I wouldn't do it anytime soon, I'm glad they didn't do it here, they very easily could have, but I'm glad they're holding out for another show, for another day. For the Impact World Tag Team Championship, we had a triple threat tag team match pitting the current champions of the North against the duo of Rich Swan and Willie Mack, and the other duo of Rhino and Rob Van Dam. Um, a good match, very fun, I thought this was good. Rob Van Dam's a random-ass heel turn came completely out of nowhere, which is probably why it worked, I guess. Um, just because we have not... A, haven't seen him as a heel in a long time, so I'm optimistic this could work. But at the same time, he has added really nothing to the Impact roster since coming back a few months ago. He's a good name to have on the show, but at the same time, he's not the Rob Van Dam of even five or ten years ago. Um, I thought his run in WWE was better. He was having better matches. It was cooler to see him at this point. We've seen him in Impact before. He's already been the world champion, X-Division champion. He's done it all. He just kind of goes in there and wrestles very uninspired. And he has some good matches. The Moose match was okay at Slammiversary. Thankfully, with the right result, the Moose going over. But a lot of his work in the last maybe year or so has not exactly blown me away. Hopefully, the heel turn will be the key to his success I'm not overly optimistic, but I am slightly optimistic it could work, if only just because we have not seen him as a heel in a long time. Uh, maybe since his ECW days, actually. Probably since the Alliance almost two decades ago, believe it or not. I don't think he was ever a heel, you know, later on in WWE, when he, you know, later on in his run after he debuted in 2001. I don't think he was a heel after the Alliance wrapped up. I don't think he was ever a heel during his initial run in Impact ten years ago, so... Um, this could be something interesting. We'll see where it goes. If it just leads to Rob Van Dam versus Rhino, then I don't give a shit. Thankfully, the North escaped with their championships intact, and they're still the Impact World Tag Team Champions. They're a great tag team. They're not getting enough attention right now. Uh, I'm a big North fan. Hopefully, they can continue to kill it as the Impact World Tag Team Champions, and hopefully this will lead into a feud with the duo of Swan and Mac going for the championships against the North uh, soon enough. We then had Michael Elgin versus Mara Fuji. Mara Fuji is how you pronounce it. My apologies. Uh, we've seen Mara Fuji on Impact before, uh, maybe a year or two ago. I remember a match he had with Moose over the Impact Grand Championship, if you remember that, that pointless, pointless title from a few years ago. Um, you know, he, he's great, and he's a, he's a Japanese legend, but they really did not do enough to make people care about this match, 
which is why the quiet that the crowd was as quiet as they were um, early on in this thing. Thankfully, they came around to getting invested in the action, coming alive for the near falls. It was a great match, probably the best match on the entire show, aside from the X Division ladder match. Um, but this was really good, very hard hitting. Marufuji looked great in defeat. He kicked out of the Elgin power bomb maybe once or twice actually, which was a little ridiculous, but. Um, I did think it was a good match. Elgin going over was obviously the right call. And uh, Elgin, again, I might have mentioned this here on the show before many months ago when discussing if he was WWE bound or the fact that he signed with Impact. I forgot exactly what we signed or you know discussed here on the show regarding his future, whether he was going to NXT or was rumored to go to NXT or whether the fact that he had signed with Impact. I don't remember. There was a clip up uh, about it on the channel, on the YouTube channel. Either way, he has been killing it. Since he came to Impact, regardless of what you think of Michael Elgin as a person, or even as a performer, there is no doubting that since he came to Impact, since coming to Impact a few months ago, he has been bringing the goods in every single match he's had on the show. Whether it's, you know, Marufuji, TJP, Falaba, Brian Cage, um, he had a great match with Rich Swan many months ago, Willie Mack. Johnny Impact, it doesn't matter who he is, the guy goes in there and has great matches every single time. He is as boring as watching grass grow sometimes when it comes to his character work, but in the ring, the guy is second to none, which is, you know, cool to see considering that he never really did much for me in Ring of Honor, but he's been doing really well for himself so far in Impact. For the X Division Championship, it was a ladder match, intergender at that actually, featuring Tessa Blanchard, her boyfriend, Daga, which was never acknowledged on the show, of course. Um, AC Romero, who I believe was signed with a three-year deal to Impact, which is cool. He was signed over the weekend before Bound for Glory. Um, the only other time I've seen AC was in that Casino Battle Royale Double or Nothing over Memorial Day weekend many months ago. That's my only exposure to AC Romero. But he, he impressed me here. I thought he did very well. The guy's fucking huge. Uh, but for a guy his size, he did very well for himself. Uh, as well as Ace Austin and Jake Christ, who was the champion coming into this thing. This was absolute insanity. This is what every ladder match should be. And again, it didn't tell like a great story, but there were several stories being, you know, worth being told here that should be, um, you know, recognized as well. Tessa Blanchard has been feuding with OVE for the better part of 2019. Um, she's been doing great work this year. She's been probably the biggest star in all of Impact. I really thought she might win here. Unfortunately, she did not, but it was because of interference from the rest of OVE. So that feud isn't over yet. Um, again, so I thought that was a great way to further that little feud. Daga did very well for himself. Romero, like I said earlier, impressed me. Um, Ace Austin, I'm a big fan of. I've been liking the feud that he's been having with uh, Eddie Edwards now for the better part of the past you know, few months. The whole thing with him and Alicia Edwards and, and Edwards and you know Eddie Edwards um, has been really, really good. So um, I'm glad he won the match. It makes the most sense with Eddie Edwards winning that Call Your Shot Battle Royal earlier on in the night. Um, it only made sense for Ace Austin to come out on top in this thing and become the new X Division champion, setting up Ace Austin versus Eddie Edwards at a later date for that X Division championship. Because remember, I, I don't count like the the friggin' Twitch shows and the Prelude to Glory and shit like that. That the, you know shows like that on the main shows on pay per view and on Impact Wrestling, Eddie Edwards I believe is yet to be Ace Austin. Ace Austin has won every single time. So it's going to mean something when Eddie, when Eddie Edwards eventually beats him for that belt, uh, which he's held before. I think Eddie Edwards is a former one or two-time X Division champion. Um, but yeah, anyway, I thought this was a really, really good match. If that Elgin Marufuji match didn't steal the show, this one definitely did. We then had Moose versus Ken Shamrock. 
Uh, yeah, Ken Shamrock Wrestling in 2019. Not something I thought I would want to see a few months ago. But again, to his credit, he went in there and fucking killed it. I thought Ken Shamrock did a way better job of going in there and hanging in there with Moose than I ever anticipated. And I think Ken Shamrock is great, but the guy's got to be in his 50s now. He's still in tremendous shape. Um, one, I think the very first world champion under the TNA banner as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion when TNA first launched two decades ago, almost. Um, he was their very first champion, but going in there like he never missed a beat, which was cool to see. Uh, him and Moose had a pretty good match. It had its ups, it had its downs. It was far from perfect. Wasn't given a lot of time. It only went 10 minutes, but it was probably for the best. I'd rather see it be on the shorter side than see it drag out and just die a slow death. So that was probably for the best. Overall, though, I thought this was good. Uh, Ken Shamrock held his own in there. He ended up losing, which was the right result. And um, the finish looked a little abrupt. But other than that, though, I thought this was passable. Um, better than it really had any right to be, considering Ken Shamrock has not wrestled on a major wrestling show, probably since his TNA days in 2002. And then we get to the main event, pitting Brian Cage, the Impact World Champion, against Sammy Callahan in a no-disqualification match, a stipulation that was added, I think either the day of the show or the day before, definitely last minute. Uh, but these two definitely benefited from having that no-DQ stipulation, and it made sense. Sammy Callahan, the bastard, friggin' pile-drives Brian Cage's wife a few weeks ago on the show. So it only made sense for this to be no-disqualification. Um, and they went in there, they made the most of the stipulation, they beat the holy shit out of each other, and it was a really fun match. Um, I thought it was the wrong call to have Sammy Callahan lose here. Brian Cage, in his defense, and never really got a fair shake as Impact World Champion just because he's been hurt for the better part of the past six months. He came out of his injury like he was good enough to wrestle at that Slammiversary show, but he either wasn't 100% yet, but it was a great match, because if he, if he wasn't 100% at that point... He definitely made me think that um, he was clear to compete because he went in there and had a great match with Michael Elgin. But anyway, Brian Cage, he wrestled that one match back at Slammiversary in June. Other than that, I don't think he's really wrestled at all since he won the championship in April. So I can see the argument, hey, he was out for six months. Now we can really have that reign that you know most of us wanted to see when he won the championship in April. And I agree with that, but Sammy Callahan has the hottest hand that Impact has right now, not named Tessa Blanchard. Um, he's been a great heel, which is why that Sammy-Tessa feud works so well, and it's still kind of going on. But that match at Slammiversary was so good, because they are the two top performers in that promotion right now. The fact they both lost in this show was kind of confusing to me, but I feel like Impact has a plan here. It's not Impact circa 2010 or 2011 even, where they would put the belt on random people who didn't deserve it and it made absolutely no sense. I have more faith in the decisions they make now than ever before. So I'm hoping Tessa losing the ladder match means that Sammy will win the title in the upcoming rematch on the Access TV show on Tuesday. And I think the show is being taped this weekend, maybe even on Friday, Saturday, I don't remember. So you could very well see spoilers for the show as soon as this weekend. I'm going to try to steer away from spoilers so I can avoid them until Tuesday. I'll try. Um, but I do think there's a pretty good chance that Sammy walks out of the rematch on Tuesday on Impact on Access TV as the new Impact World Champion, as he probably should. Not only would it kick off the Impact Access TV era uh, off with a bang, I really do think that it's the best possible call, and Brian Cage is great, but Sammy Callahan is the hot hand they need right now as the Impact World Champion. But overall, though, I thought this was a good show. Again, I thought Bound for Glory last year was a little stronger. 
Uh, last year we had, you know, the Lucha Bros teaming with, I think, Brian Cage against OVE, which was a very good match. We had Austin Aries, Johnny Impact for the Impact World Championship in the main event. Um, there was another really, really good match I can't remember. I think Taya and Tessa for the Knockouts Championship, which was good. Um, I remember that being like a holy shit type of show. This was close to that, not quite as great, but again, the, the bottom line is that Impact is absolutely more worth watching now than it has ever been at any other point in its existence. Maybe since 2012 at least. Maybe not ever, but at least since 2012 when they were putting out great show after great show after great show, which is why I watched the Bound for Glory pay-per-view a few weeks ago or last week because that was such a prime time in Impact's history where they were just firing in all cylinders. So hopefully they are returning to that, and the only difference really between now and back then is that they don't really have a TV deal right now. They weren't they were on Spike back then. It was a lot easier to watch the shows. So hopefully in going to Access starting this Tuesday, they can get more eyes on their product. I spent way more time on the Bound for Glory review than I was anticipating, but it was a good show, so I thought I would give it the recognition it, the recognition it deserved. Before we go further with the Raw, NXT, and Dynamite thoughts, real quick, Crown Jewel for this coming Thursday on Halloween Day. Um, this is the current card as it stands right now as of October 24th, 2019, and here are my predictions as of right now for Thursday, October 24th, 2019. We have Team Hogan versus Team Flair with what on the line, you ask? Absolutely nothing. It's like that war song, what is it good for? Yeah, Team Hogan versus Team Flair, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing, baby. Um, it's just 10 all-stars going at it for the sake of the Saudi prince. Um, thankfully, he's not on the line in this match, but he will be watching from afar. It's Team Hogan, which consists of Roman Reigns, Rusev, Ricochet, fucking Chad Gable. I will not say Shorty G. I, I refuse to call him Shorty G. He's Chad Gable. Um, Chad Gable and Ali taking on Team Flair, which will consist of Randy Orton, King Corbin, King Corbin, Bobby Lashley, Shinsuke Nakamura, the Intercontinental Champion, and Drew McIntyre, who returned on Raw this week and knocked off Ricochet in one-on-one -on -one action to avenge the loss he suffered at the hands of uh, Ricochet a few months ago on Raw in the first round of the King of the Ring tournament. So a little nice attention to detail there on Raw this week. Um, I really have no level of expectation for this. I don't think as of right now it's an elimination tag team match. I think it's just the normal 10-man tag team match, which completely defeats the purpose of Survivor Series. But fuck it, it's the Saudi show so they can do whatever they want. Um, I'm just going to say Team Roman, because I guess, you know, it's a glorified house show anyway, so why wouldn't the baby faces win? Uh, it's not like anything is on the line, so yeah, I got Team Hogan going over. Um, we'll start from the bottom and work our way up from there. AJ Styles, as it was announced on Wednesday's The Bump from WWE, um, it's going to be AJ Styles defending his United States Championship against the winner of a 20-man battle royal earlier on in the evening. Uh, they have yet to announce who's going to be in this battle royal, but I assume it's going to be the scraps of people that aren't involved in the tag team turmoil match um, elsewhere here on this show. So I really have no idea who would win. Honestly, I thought Mansoor would be a good idea just because he won that other battle royal a few months ago at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia. And Mansoor is actually pretty good, and Mansoor and AJ would be a really good match. Mansoor is actually already facing Cesaro on this show, a match that obviously will be won by Mansoor, uh, which makes sense, but poor Cesaro. As far as the United States Championship match is concerned, take a wild guess. Um, Kevin Owens, maybe. Kevin Owens and AJT's defeat on this week's Raw. Now, they might just do some sort of a filler opponent. Um, actually, no, Kevin Owens won't be on this show. They can't do KO and AJ, because KO said the last time, 
and the time before that and this show. I don't think he was there in November. I think he said no. I know he definitely wasn't at Super Showdown a few months ago. Um, but he won't be on this show either. So Kevin Owens said no to going over to Saudi Arabia. He cannot be in this battle royal. So if it's not Kevin Owens, I could see it being Cedric Alexander, Buddy Murphy maybe. Um, I would hope that it's someone from the Raw brand. I mean, no more of this cross-promotion, inter-promotional shit. The brand split is back, hopefully. Let's stick to it this time, people. It's only been two fucking weeks. There's no real reason to go back on that um, so soon. So hopefully it's a member from the Raw roster. I'm not sure who it would be. Raw has a pretty stacked lineup, um, but I'm not sure who would make sense to face AJ. It doesn't really matter who makes sense. Um, but we'll say fucking Cedric because fuck it, why not? And you know what? Actually, I'll go with Buddy Murphy because we've seen AJ and Cedric already a bunch of times. So uh, at least Buddy Murphy and AJ would be something new, and I would assume that AJ wins. I mean, I guess it could be Alistair Black, but again, Alistair I don't think is welcome to come to the country either because of his tattoos. Um, he wasn't allowed to go to Saudi in June at Super Showdown because of his, I think, religious tattoos, and I don't think he'd be allowed again here. So if you eliminate the people that can't go to the country and the people that won't be in this match because they're already in other matches on this show, Buddy Murphy or Cedric are the only two people that make sense. So I'll say Buddy Murphy and then AJ retains the title. Uh, We'll then have a tag team turmoil match for the WWE World Cup. Yes, the same World Cup that was on the line last year uh, with all these people that were from the United States. So what kind of a World Cup is that, you ask? I have no idea. Uh, We're doing it again this time, this time with the tag teams. And I guess it's to determine the greatest tag team in WWE today. We have the New Day, the Raw Tag Team Champions, the Viking Raiders, Heavy Machinery, Lucha House Party, Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, The Revival, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, and the B-Team. Who are the SmackDown Tag Team Champions? Oh yeah, The Revival. I completely forgot because they're never on TV. Um, But this should be... Fine, I guess. I could see the jobbers getting beat quite quickly. Um, if I had to pick any one team, I guess the Viking Raiders would make sense because they have been undefeated. I don't see them going in there and getting pinned. Um, that's why they did that double DQ finish in that gauntlet match on Raw a few weeks ago, I think, with them and the OC when they weren't pinned. They were just disqualified. They, they were just disqualified. Um, they are the Raw Tag Team Champions now. I'll say the Viking Raiders. But if it's not them, maybe the New Day which will definitely consist of Biggie and Kofi because Xavier Woods was recently injured on WWE's Tour of Australia. Uh, I think he hurt his Achilles tendon. And I'm not sure if we have confirmation yet as of this recording, but it might be a full tear, which would absolutely suck because those injuries can take anywhere from 9 to 12 months to recover from, if not more. So Xavier could be out for a really long time if that's true. Hopefully not, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. But again, if not the Viking Raiders... I have the New Day going over here, but the Viking Raiders are my pick. Um, already said Mansoor over Cesaro. Uh, Braun Strowman versus Tyson Fury. Come on. Tyson Fury's winning. He's never been beaten within the boxing world. Why would he lose now in WWE to fucking Braun Strowman, who can't win a match to save his life? So Tyson Fury's winning that. And I honestly, I said this on Hashtag on Wednesday. I like Tyson Fury. He seems like a genuine, real fan of the WWE. I appreciate that. But just the build of this match alone has not been good. It just feels so forced. It feels like they tell him to go out there, put on this phony fucking, not smile, but like this phony mean face to sell people on the idea of him and Braun facing off. And it's just not realistic. It's not compelling. It's just stupid. But he will win here. 
Uh, for the Universal Championship, Seth Rollins versus The Fiend Bray Wyatt in a Falls Count Anywhere match, where we were told on SmackDown last week they actually inc- they actually included this in the stipulation title on the match card. It says, the match cannot be stopped for any reason. So even if Bray Wyatt just, for whatever reason, just dies during the match, let's say he has an allergic reaction um, or, or whatever in the middle of the ring, and he just dies or he needs an ambulance or something, the match will continue. They can bring Bray Wyatt to the nearest um, you know, medical facility in Saudi Arabia. Rollins can follow him there and then pin him. Maybe that's what they have in mind. Maybe that's what they'll do to protect the Fiend, that he has a heart attack in the middle of the ring, and then Rollins pins him when he's down. And they still keep Seth Rollins' face because they want him to be this you know, heroic babyface, even though that's the farthest thing from what he is right now. Just turn the guy fucking heel. Just turn him heel. He's much better as a heel. I think the face run has run its course, and he's been a great babyface by and large up until recently. But it's it's we we've seen it a million times already. Um, we we've seen it for so long. He was actually a heel a lot shorter than he's been a babyface. He was only a heel on his own from mid 2014 to mid 2016. He's been a babyface ever since. So three years to two years, he's been a babyface longer than he ever was a heel on his own, dating back to 2014. So um, I do think he should turn soon. My big question was, they need a top babyface to replace him on that side of the roster. Um, I would say McIntyre. I've argued Drew McIntyre. Yes, he came back as a heel on Raw this week, but of course he would come back as a heel. I mean, it kind of makes sense just because he left as a heel, and not everyone returns on the opposite side of the spectrum. You kind of have to build it with first. Then I know Sasha came back and turned heel a few months ago, which was you know long overdue, but McIntyre, they can build it with if they wanted to. Maybe he teases tension with Randy Orton here um, on Team Flair, and that's how, you know, um, that's how they build tension between those two and establish a feud between Orton and McIntyre, and that's how they turn Drew McIntyre babyface. I'm not sure. I think that'd be the easiest way to do it. Um, but in the meantime, though, Rollins will reign supreme in this match. Still, the Universal Champion doing further damage, to, uh, do, doing further damage to the Fiend in the process. I'm not even really sure why they're doing this match. To be honest with you, if the Fiend is not going to become the champion, or why would he? Because he's on SmackDown. I mean, I guess they could say, oh, if he wins the title, he comes back to Raw. Then what was the point of putting him on SmackDown in the first place? We already had that dumbass trade a week ago that we talked about here on the show with Alexis, breaking down the 2019 WWE Draft, where Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross went to SmackDown, and then Raw got nobody in return? It made absolutely no sense. So, Rollins wins here, LOL. And then we get to what should be the main event for the WWE Championship. There was some... Um, confusion over whether this would be for the championship or not. It will officially be for the title. Brock Lesnar versus Cain Velasquez. I could see them doing a deal where Brock wins just to say they've evened the score between the two from their UFC fight 10 years ago, which actually happened nine years ago yesterday, which is pretty interesting. Um, I can see them doing that, but I would rather they keep Cain strong in his first match in WWE. Um, to ruin any appeal he has by having him get beat by Brock. I know this is Brock's world, but I think it would still be stupid. They should book some sort of a non-finish, but if it's anything like Hell in the Cell last month, they'll probably fuck it up and just end the evening with a lot of people angry. Either way, I think Brock escapes still the WWE Champion. It is way too soon to be putting the belt on Cain Velasquez if we don't really know what he can do in the ring. I know the guy's had a couple Lucha Libre matches, and from what, I, from what I've heard, he's actually done pretty well um, in AAA. You can't go off for that and just give him the championship. So I would assume Brock retains here. I would still prefer to see this match at WrestleMania, not the WrestleMania in Saudi Arabia. To me, just 
ruins a lot of the appeal this match has because it came together three weeks ago, not even. But uh, I do think Brock wins and hopefully they, or at least retains the championship, and they can go back to this at some point down the road, maybe in time for WrestleMania 36, if it's still a hot feud by that point. And those are my predictions for Crown Jewel next week on Halloween. Again, I'm hoping to watch it live or expect to watch it live before um, doing my annual watch-along, the annual um, viewing of Ghostbusters on Halloween before going out and enjoying the evening on Halloween night. So I'm looking forward to that. So before we close out here today, some quick thoughts on Raw and on AEW and NXT from this week. All very good shows. Or at least two out of three ain't bad. Raw was uh, not that good of a show on Monday. It was our first official Raw of the new era with the new Raw roster. And they did a good job of not bringing over anyone from SmackDown, at least from what we know. Uh, Paul Heyman was on this show via the Titantron, but we were told by Heyman himself that he can float between the two brands. Because, yeah, Brock Lesnar was drafted, but in Paul Heyman's case, he's an advocate. He can go wherever he wants, which is why we didn't see Paul Heyman in the graphic with Brock last week on the show. Because Heyman can go wherever he wants, apparently. Um, Cain Velasquez also showed up in this show, doing a very not-so-impressive beatdown on Shelton Benjamin. Uh, I don't think he's officially been assigned to one brand or the other yet, which is why he showed up on Raw. They might be waiting until after WWE's tour of Mexico. He's actually teaming with Rey Mysterio in Mexico against, I want to say, Andrade and Drew McIntyre, if I'm not mistaken, which actually sounds like a pretty good match. Um, that's a Raw-branded match to me, so maybe Kane loses or he fails to win the championship against Brock, and then he goes to Raw. I don't think Raw needs him. Uh, I think Raw has enough star power as it is, and they don't really need Kane Velasquez. But, um, still, maybe they're waiting until after Crown Jewel, until after, you know, that tour of Mexico next month to determine where he goes and what brand he's assigned to. But other than that, this was a pretty lame duck show. Um, Only the main event I really enjoyed, and the opener. The opener was great. Drew McIntyre beating Ricochet in his first belt back since, I think, August, when he lost to Ricochet, as I said earlier, in the first round of the King of the Ring tournament. Very good stuff here. Uh, McIntyre can be a big star. I've heard all the rumors. Oh, you know, that big push is in mind for McIntyre. The guy's going to be pushed to the top. Well, we've been waiting a fucking year for it now, let alone 10 years, since he was, uh, you know, uh, dubbed the chosen one 10 years ago by Vince McMahon himself on SmackDown. they got to pull the trigger now. The guy is hot. they got to do it while he's still relevant. So hopefully McIntyre gets a big push coming out of Crown Jewel. And again, I would turn him babyface. I think Raw has enough heels. Um, you know, AJ's a heel. Rollins can be a great top heel on that show. I think McIntyre can really flourish as a babyface on that brand. Aleister Black knocked off Jason Reynolds, some local athlete. Glad to see him being kept strong, and the funny thing is, as I noted on Twitter on Monday, Aleister Black has now wrestled the same amount of matches on Raw that he did on SmackDown when he was drafted there in April. Uh, he only had three televised matches over there. I know he had one on pay-per-view against Cesaro at Extreme Rules, but I'm talking TV matches. On SmackDown itself, I think Aleister only ever faced Cesaro in that rematch two days after the pay-per-view. Sami Zayn on the Tuesday before SummerSlam, and then Shelton Benjamin that one time in early September. Other than that, I don't think he ever wrestled at all on TV on SmackDown. He was too busy cutting pointless promos backstage about how he was begging for a fight, but it never led anywhere. So hopefully Paul Heyman got the friggin' memo about Aleister Black being a star, and he's going to start pushing him aggressively on the red brand. Uh, The Bobby Lashley, Alana, Rusev stuff was once again absolute shit. Uh, Rusev was on the King's Court being interviewed by Jerry Lawler 
And then we saw Rusev crash the dinner of Bobby Lashley and Lana. This whole thing is terrible. It's an awful angle. I don't care about Rusev. I don't care about Bobby Lashley. I don't care about Lana. It makes Rusev look like a complete idiot uh, for seeing his wife cheat on him with Bobby Lashley but still want her back anyway. What a fucking moron. There are a lot of people, I guess, who can relate to that. I hate to say it, but there's a lot of people, I guess, who can relate to being cheated on and taking back said person anyway, which, to me, has never made any sense. If this person cheated on you, which you should absolutely never do, it's disgusting, why would you ever, ever trust them to never do it again? If they did it once, what's stopping them from doing it again? And I know that doesn't apply to every case, but... Still, I, I just think that's ridiculous. So what type of message are they supposed to be sending here with Rusev? That the guy's an idiot? That the guy's a cuck? Like, this whole angle sucks. Um, Andrade versus Sin Cara, good match. Andrade won. It's hard to care about a win over Sin Cara when the guy's barely been on TV for the past year and a half now. But this was fine for what it was. Uh, we saw Humberto Carrillo scouting Andrade from backstage, which set up Humberto and Seth Rollins for later on in the show, because Rollins heard Humberto's Carrillo about him, how... He wouldn't have done what uh, Rollins did in, term of, in terms of burning down the Firefly Funhouse. And they definitely seem to be heading in the direction of Rollins, you know, showing some heel tendencies, which is interesting. Now, again, we've, we've said that a million times about Roman Reigns, and they never pulled the trigger. They seem to be in that same spot now with Seth Rollins. Um, I think they might be a little more giving on Rollins going heel as opposed to Roman Reigns, because Roman Reigns feels more like the face of WWE, despite the fact he hasn't been champion in almost exactly one year, he still feels like the poster child of that company. Uh, I think they might be more willing to turn Rollins here. They might be more willing to turn Rollins heel, provided that they have someone to replace him as the top babyface on Raw. Um, and I think that person, as I said earlier, could be Drew McIntyre. But anyway, uh, I guess we'll see where that goes. We had the Raw Tag Team Champions, the Viking Raiders, making quick work, quick work of the former Raw Tag Team Champions, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. Um, already mentioned the Rey Mysterio, Paul Heyman, Cain Velasquez, Shelton Benjamin um, segment here. It was it was good. I thought it was fine. Uh, I didn't poop on it as much as other people did. Um, I thought Kane's attack on Benjamin wasn't really all that impressive, like I said. Kind of felt forced, like, oh, go in there and act like an MMA fighter. Like, he wanted to go in there and beat the shit out of Shelton, but not hurt him at the same time. So it kind of came across as phony. Um, but still, I thought it was it was a decent segment for what it was. Um, we then had Seth Rollins beating, <clears throat> excuse me, Humberto Carrillo in non-title action. Good match. Carrillo looked good in defeat here. Hopefully he has a much brighter future on Raw than Drew Gulak does on SmackDown, who got promptly buried by Braun Strowman. And I, used, I don't really use that word lightly here on the show, but... With Braun Strowman and Drew Gulak, that was an outright fucking burial of the former Cruiserweight champion. What a fucking waste of Drew Gulak last week on SmackDown. Hopefully, Carrillo has better fortunes on Raw. And after this showing that he had here, I have faith that he will. And then we get to the main event, the Street Profits versus the OC. It was supposed to be a six-man tag team match, first of all. That's what we were told on .com, on the website, uh, on, the website on YouTube, earlier on in this fucking show. They said it would be a six-man tag team match with the OC facing the Street Profits and a mystery partner. I don't know what happened to that, but um, we we got a regular old tag team match here, and it was good. I thought it was an entertaining main event for what it was, but just some false advertising here. And that's after the fact they were supposed to do this match last week on the show. According to WWE's own Twitter, they were advertising it for last week on the show, and they didn't do it. So I don't know what the fuck is going on here, whether it's a lack of communication or... Just false advertising, I don't know. 
The matchup was all right, though. The Street Profits did win after help from Kevin Owens at ringside. Kevin Owens was the mystery third man, who I wasn't even thinking of, but I thought he, um, you know, I thought he was good for that spot. People like Kevin Owens and Street Profits, if they can book them properly, can be real stars on the main roster. The same way I thought Enzo and Cass could be before they dropped the ball on them, too. But the Street Profits are even better in the ring than Enzo and Cass were. They had some great matches in NXT with Danny Burch and Orly, Orly Lorcan. They had some great matches with Undisputed Era. They had great matches with a number of different tag teams, the Viking Raiders. So uh, hopefully, again, if booked properly, they can be real stars on this show. And I'm glad they emerged victorious in their Raw in-ring debut in the main event, no less. On the whole, though, this really wasn't that good of a show. From NXT on Wednesday, we don't have too much time, so we're gonna kind of I have to kind of run through both shows from Dynamite and NXT this week. Um, but I thought NXT was a really good show on Wednesday night. Rhea Ripley kicked off the show, beating Bianca Belair in a very good match. Um, I assume she will either challenge for the NXT Women's Championship in the very near future, or you know, and I said I, I said this on hashtag on Wednesday, but I assume they're setting up a women's war games match, and I'm not the only one who feels that way. But it looks like they'd be setting up a three way three-person or nine-person tag team match, which is kind of what they did a few years ago with the men when it was Undisputed Era. It was Roderick Strong and AOP. And then, who was the other trio? Oh, Sanity. So I guess in this match, it would be Sheena Baszler, Marina Shafir, and Jessamyn Duke. It would be Tegan Knox, Dakota Kai, and Candice LeRae. And then the trio of Ripley, Belair, and Shirai. Now, I don't know really why why they would want to team up, aside from having common enemies and the other people. Um, just because we saw Ripley and Belair here. Shirai doesn't like Ripley either. I assume that match is coming sooner rather than later. I know Shirai's facing Candice LeRae next week first. Um, I'm not really sure why they would want to team up. But again, common enemies, a lot like Roderick Strong and AOP a few years ago. I'm not really sure, but that's just one idea. So I assume that's what they're setting up. And if so... It's a match I can absolutely buy on. We had Matt Riddle taking on Cameron Grimes, who has done nothing to impress me since coming to NXT. The fact that we see more of Cameron Grimes than Jordan Miles, the actual winner of the NXT Breakout Tournament on this show, to me, makes absolutely no sense. Unless Jordan Miles is injured and we don't know it, then I have no idea why he hasn't been on the show yet. We've seen a bunch of people multiple times, but no Jordan Miles yet for whatever reason. Anyway... Uh, this was a really good match, though. Easily the best Cameron Grimes match I've seen so far in NXT. Um, I thought he had a great showing here as a character. He bores me to fucking tears. And he's always been a great wrestler, dating back to his Impact days. I was a fan of him then, too. But as a character, we know nothing about the guy, and therefore I have zero reason to care. So I'm glad Matt Riddle won. We then had a six-man tag team match, pitting Isaiah Swerve Scott and Brazongo, who are now air pilots coming out of this match. Um, taking on the Forgotten Sons. Very good six-man tag team match. I thought this was fun for what it was. Um, the Forgotten Sons do nothing for me, and I like Brazongo, but the real, staller, the real star of this match was Isaiah Swerve Scott. The guy has a star written all over him, and I felt that way for a long time now, dating back to his days as Killshot in Lucha Underground. He's really, really good. Um, so I'm glad he picked up the win for his team here, and hopefully he can build off this victory to bigger and better things on NXT. We had Angel Garza beating Gentleman Jack Gallagher, returning to Full Sail University for the first time in a few years, with Leo Rush on commentary. I assume they're building to Garza and Rush for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship, which has fucking potential banger written all over it. <clears throat> we had a number one contenders match for the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles with Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai, beating the two of the four horsewomen, Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir. 
And this match was fine. <clears throat> it was decent while it lasted. Nothing overly special. Duke and Shafir are still really green. Uh, they're coming along nicely, but we don't really see too much of them in the ranks. They're not really getting much experience on the actual television shows. They might have been a lot better by now if they were actually in the ring on a more consistent basis here on the show. Um, this was a good match, though. Knox and Kai going over will face the Kabuki Warriors next week for the WWE Women's Tag Team Titles. And I'm a big fan of that move. I am an absolute fan of seeing Knox and Kai versus the Kabuki Warriors and a big fan of seeing the tag titles defended on the show. I know it was teased many months ago with Sasha Banks and Bayley coming to NXT, defending their WWE Women's Tag Team titles against, you know, whatever team that NXT had to offer. My idea was that they would face Kyrie Sane and Io Shirai when they were still a tag team in NXT at the TakeOver show in Brooklyn. But obviously, Sane and um, Shirai were in that four-way for the Women's Championship instead, and then Banks and Bayley dropped the belts at WrestleMania, so it never happened. But we can finally get it now. And honestly, it's not like they're doing anything with the Kabuki Warriors on the main roster anyway. They just won the championships a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, rather. Uh, and I'm glad they went heel and they picked up a few key wins since then, but they're not as good as they have the potential to be because of the fucking main roster booking. So in NXT, I'm really excited to see how they'll fare, how they'll fare against the team like Kai and uh, Knox, who have great chemistry. That could be a really, really, really fun match if, um, if given the time to shine. And then the main event saw for the NXT North American Championship, Roderick Strong take on two challengers and Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic in a triple threat match. Fantastic match here, as only one can expect from Lee, Dijakovic, and Roderick Strong. Um, this was a lot of fun, some great near falls, as expected. It came down to Lee and Dijakovic just beating the holy shit out of each other for like five minutes. Doing their thing, ripping it up before Strong came out of nowhere, swooped in, stole the victory by pinning Keith Lee to retain his championship. But that was not all. That was not all. The Undisputed Era come out, lay a beating down on Keith Lee, only for um, Johnny Gargano to come out, Tommaso Ciampa to come out, reuniting his DIY for the first time. And I, mean, I guess they reunited earlier this year for, like, for an episode or two on NXT, which was kind of cool. Um, I think they may have lost in either the first or second round of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Probably the, the first round, I think, if I remember correctly. But anyway, so they come out only to be joined by Finn Balor. And we figured this would set up, you know, the obvious third War Games match with Undisputed Era taking on Gargano, Cole, uh, no, or, I'm sorry, Gargano, Ciampa, and Finn Balor. But... Before we could see the two teams go at it, Finn Balor out of nowhere lands Johnny Gargano, hits Johnny Gargano with a Pele kick, and it was the shot heard around the world. It was so fucking well executed. Um, this was a great, 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 great angle, and they did such an awesome job of making you think that we were going to be getting Gargano and Ciampa versus, or Gargano, Ciampa, and Balor versus Undisputed Era at TakeOver, but they pulled a complete 180 on us. By taking us for a loop, throwing us for a loop, turning Balor heel for the first time in, in not only NXT, but also just WWE in general. We have not seen Finn Balor work as a heel in the five years he's been with this company. So I thought that was just tremendous. Um, this was a really well done angle, and now we'll see Balor. Uh, maybe not as a member of the Undisputed Era. There was some confusion there. He never once put up the Undisputed Era sign despite the fact that they did it. Instead, he did the Bullet Club hand gesture at, not the two sweep, but like just a gun gesture at Johnny Gargano, which I thought was a really nice touch. So I assume this sets up a projected card at TakeOver for Balor and Gargano, one-on-one. -on -one. 
which uh, should I mean I would be sold on that show for that match alone. That sounds amazing. Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT Championship, the aforementioned Women's War Games match, which I'm not sure if it will be exactly that, but it sounds like it could be, and it would be absolutely amazing if they did go in that direction. I guess they could do Belair with. Uh, they could always do Belair with um, Knox, Kai, and uh, what's her name, uh, Candice LeRae, and then do a separate match with Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai if they want. But what's the point if there's no championship on the line? So I mean, I, I think they, they, there's some things to work out there. But I like the three-way format with what I suggested of Ripley, Shirai, and Belair versus Knox, Kai, and LeRae. What did I say? Belair, Ripley. And Shirai versus Larray, Knox, and Kai. There's a lot of names to remember here. And then obviously Belair, uh, Duke, and Shafir. That's the match that I would want to say. And then you can also do, because they have the ties with the Undisputed Era anyway from this show, Keith Lee and Dijakovic as tag team partners versus Fish and O'Reilly for the NXT tag team titles because they don't have any obvious challengers for that takeover show either. Maybe Imperium, but... Uh, they're two heel tag teams, so I would rather see Lee and Dijakovic team up for the first time on a takeover and go for the tag titles. I think that'd be tremendous. But um, yeah, for those matches alone, if only for that Balor-Gargano match, I'm sold. But that entire card, if it plays out as I expect it to, that sounds like one hell of a show. Uh, so that was NXT on Wednesday. Dynamite, I thought, was an equally entertaining show, airing opposite on TNT. I watched NXT first, but Dynamite I watched right after the fact, and I thought that was a very good show as well. Um, the Lucha Bros knocking off Private Party in an awesome match to advance to the finals in the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tournament. Uh, this had way too many flips. It was way too confusing for my liking, and I like that type of shit once in a while, but this was all like just mass chaos with no real story told. They were just going in there and just doing random-ass flips for the sake of doing fucking flips. Not really selling much. I thought that was kind of weird. Other than that, though, this was a great match. The crowd was into it, and it was a great way to kick off the show. In the other semifinal match in the AEW World Tag Team Title Tournament, it was SoCal Uncensored SCU and knocking out the Dark Order. Thank God the Dark Order lost. Um, I really thought they were going all the way to the finals just because AEW has really built them up strong so far. But thankfully, that was not the case, and it's going to be SCU and the Lucha Bros next week to determine the first ever AEW World Tag Team Champions, which should be tremendous. Kenny Omega beat Joey Janela in a rematch from their match on AEW Dark a few weeks ago, although this was a standard singles match, and it was good. It was good. Nothing too great. I'm glad they didn't do the old hardcore shit for the first time in a while. It feels like we get a hardcore match in every AEW show for the last number of weeks now, but I'm glad we did not get that here. It was just a straight-up singles match. Good match from Omega and Janela with Omega going over. We then had Cody cutting a promo on Chris Jericho to hype up the AEW World Championship match for uh, full gear next month, only for the inner circle to interrupt him from the luxury box up top. Uh, Cody was then joined by Dustin Rhodes, MJF, and Diamond Dallas Page, of all people, which was a little surprising, which I guess he has that relationship with Cody, but DDP, of all people, it just, I don't know, seemed a little weird. So I guess we'll see how... Much of a regular he will be on the show going forward. This might have only really served the purpose. I mean, he may not be a regular on the show going forward, but this may have only served the purpose of establishing DDP as a friend of Cody's, only for the inner circle to go after DDP and attack him at his home or something like that to get more heat on Jericho and the inner circle. That's what I want to say. 
So hopefully that's where this is headed, and DDP is not long for AEW Dynamite. Uh, we, then had, we then had the Young Bucks knocking off best friends in a good match. Very fun, nothing too overly amazing, but this was good. Uh, Britt Baker knocking off Jamie Hayter, who I don't think is signed to AEW. It was a fine match, but Britt Baker, I mean, it was a it was a pretty show, just kind of a showcase standard singles match for Baker. She hasn't overly impressed me so far in AEW. This was decent, but I need to see a real star-making performance from Baker. This was an improvement over the real match from the week before. But uh, this was far from great. But at least the crowd was into her. The hometown crowd, the hometown crowd rallied behind Baker. They wanted to see her win, and she did. So that was cool. But uh, she still needs. Uh, there's still a lot of room for improvement in regards to her in-ring abilities, in regards to her in-ring skills. And then we get to the main event of the show: John Moxley versus Pac. Um, ended in a 20, 20 or 15 minute time limit draw. Uh, this was really good. A very good match. Very hard hitting. You could feel the bad blood between the two. They brought the intensity. I thought this was great. Um, the time limit draw I thought was perfect because they have established the time limit draws are a thing in AEW, so it didn't feel forced, it didn't feel random, it was a good way of protecting both guys, um, to have it end in a time limit draw as opposed to a DQ or interference or some bullshit like that, which you would normally see in WWE, I like the fact that they utilize, that they actually utilize the time limit draw in AEW, I like that, it was a nice touch. Was far from an underwhelming, uh, ending either, I think Moxley may have hit another one of his finishers on packed and the show and then doing it again on the referee to close out the night. So it's not like they ended on a sour note of a time limit and then that was it. At least Moxley ended the show standing tall um, ahead of his match with Kenny Omega at full gear coming up in a few weeks. But again, overall, a very good show and AEW Dynamite continues to be an absolute treat to tune into every single Wednesday. Airing opposite of NXT, which is an equally great show, you can't go wrong with either one on Wednesday nights. And that's going to do it for me, folks, here on WrestleRant Radio for Wednesday, or rather Thursday, October 24th, 2019. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in here to the show to hear me ramble about AEW, NXT, WWE, Impact, and everything else in between, including Crown Jewel next Thursday. So again, my predictions went up on this show, so therefore I won't have any preview or predictions for Crown Jewel next Thursday on the Halloween episode of WrestleRant Radio, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, instead, next week we'll likely just break, just be breaking down Raw, um, be breaking down Raw, Dynamite, NXT, um, all the usual shows, and anything else I see fit. Probably not Crown Jewel. I am expecting to record the show before the show airs at 1 p.m. on Thursday. Because if I wait any longer to record the show after Crown Jewel wraps up, which could very well end at like end at like 5 p.m., then um, I, I will never get around to doing the show because I'll probably be leaving to go out on Halloween night soon after the show ends on Thursday. So, anyway, my written review should be up soon after the show ends on nextairwrestling.net for my immediate reaction on the show if you want it. Um, other than that, though, you can check out new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday, not only here on nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Podbean. We're all over the place, baby. So subscribe to the show today. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show for every episode on every episode on Thursdays and also every archived episode dating back to the show's debut over six years ago. Over six years worth of content right here on iTunes and all the other podcast platforms. Until next week, guys, I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews. Enjoy the rest of your month of October and we'll catch you right back here on Halloween next Thursday. Until then, guys... I'll catch your ass down the road. Down the road.